Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Leadership for Organizational Growth. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod373. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I have so enjoyed getting to know today's guest. He's the founder and CEO of Rhythm, helping scaling sales teams expand their bottom line. He has an extensive career in sales and sales leadership. At one point, he actually led a team with about 100 sales reps at NerdWallet, so he knows all about the complexities of sales leadership. He is based right here in New York City. Welcome to the show, Tommy McNulty. So great to be here, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad that you could join me. And before we jump in to our conversation, where we'll be kind of talking about some of those lessons you've learned from sales leadership, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners, maybe tell a little bit about the story that's gotten you to where you are today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the story began uh, in Brooklyn, uh, where I'm originally from. I took my first job at a, a karate school when I was 13 years old. And it's actually where I learned how to sell. I used to walk up and down the street with a clipboard, actually trying to get folks to sign up for classes, which is just a really, really wonderful uh, and fun experience. After I graduated from college, I took my first individual contributor job uh, at ZocDoc. This was back in 2011 um, as a, an SDR and sort of spent uh, some time there as an individual contributor. And then joined an early stage company focused on mobile payments into the hospitality space. That was my first foray into sales leadership and sales management. Learned a ton and then hopped over to Fundera to help scale that company where I spent the bulk of my career. It was there almost six years, you know, scaled the company from or helped scale the company with others from, you know, zero to over 50 million in revenue, profitability. And then we eventually sold the company to NerdWallet at the end of 2020, which, you know, then I became head of B2B uh, at NerdWallet managing a pretty large team of wonderful sellers and SDRs and CS managers and, you know, all the things that go into revenue. So I'd like to say that in a, in a, in a pretty compact period of time, I'm pretty sure I've done every role in sales from SDR like to it. a, yeah, SMB enterprise, uh, sales ops, you know, all, all, all the different things. So I love it all. I think it's such a wonderful place because it, it, it brings out so much of like a warrior spirit in people because like you can win and you can lose and you can't just approach each day as like its own just run of the mill day. Like you have to go out and make things happen. And I think for a subset of the, of the population, that's, that's, a lot better than just, you know, sitting around waiting for things to happen. Definitely. It is it is always interesting to talk to somebody who has had so many different roles in sales and business development, especially in the last 10-15 years where the sales environment has changed quite a lot. And I know we'll be honing in on some of that over the course of our conversation today, but to have worn those hats, first of all, it gives you a lot of credibility when you're talking to sales reps, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because the the number of times you hear from people, you don't know what it's like, is is pretty extensive, and I think is very understandable. You you have some people who are leading sales teams who haven't sold in 20 years, and you can be very effective, but you do need to be aware um, that the world yep. has changed pretty significantly. So you at least are able to just kind of speak to very recent experience and and even some current experience yeah you know i i 
I think that the <laughs> like you know n- not to be funny here, but the fastest way to get yourself tarred and feathered and thrown out of the building as a sales leader is to not have empathy for what your frontline sellers go through yes. on a day to day basis. Part of being a VP of sales or a CRO is you you have to maintain a level of courage to make difficult decisions, and difficult decisions could take forms of quota increases or territory shrinking or rifts and you have to do those things but if you do them without remembering and appreciating the psychology of everybody that's involved and how you communicate those things how you share those things with folks i think that's the 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 fastest way you you lose credibility absolutely and the number of times i've spoken to you know, sales teams and heard our quotas are just completely unrealistic or our leaders think that you can just make a phone call and get a meeting and they can do that because they've got the network and the experience and the title. But if I were to call that same person, I could definitely not get a meeting. They wouldn't even (laughs) take my phone call. Um, It's that it's that sense that you're living in a completely different world. You don't understand how hard my job is. And it, it does make it really difficult to communicate anything, especially if what you're communicating is not going to be, you know, nobody loves to hear your quota has doubled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's very, like I said before, it's really unique. It's, it, you know, I, I remember sleepless nights and stressful weekends when I was having a bad month or a bad quarter, you know, my... My first SDR job, it was actually a daily quota. And, wow. you know, having every single day, like you have to come back and bring it no matter what happened yesterday. Um, you know, there, there's a level of just like emotional and mental fortitude that becomes built in, in that. And I think the other thing is you have to do it over and over and over again. It's not like a one time I closed one deal, had one good month. It's, you have to string it together over months, quarters, and years. And it's a grind. And not to say that other executives and people don't appreciate that grind, but there's a, there's a like, you, you know, when someone has carried a bag before, because, you know, like, uh, there, there's just a, a, a shared experience that you can immediately attach to. Yep. Definitely. You, you, you can see it in their eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bag, the bag's under their eyes. <laughs> yeah. There yeah. we go. So the transition from being the one who's doing the selling to sales leadership can be really rocky. And the benefits of taking a strong seller and and developing them into a sales leader are the empathy that they have, the understanding of, of what it's really like, but a lot of times the skills and abilities that make a really great seller are not always the skills and abilities that make a really great leader. And there's a lot of learning and and some kind of rough edges that might need to be sanded off. Uh, What was that transition like as you first moved from selling yourself into um, sales leadership? Yeah, it was really hard uh, is, is the high level. One of the, I think, key challenges that you have when you move, like when you grow up in the sales world, that you go from an AE or AM and into a manager role is the fastest thing to lean on, or the most efficient thing to lean on is like how you did things. So like, this is how I closed deals. This was my process. This was my formula for my funnel, whatever that might look like. 
and other people might have their own processes right? um, that actually that work well for them. And for me, like my my biggest, biggest, biggest challenge was actually like expanding my own views of all the possible ways to good, right? Where I had one view of it, which was how I did it, but there are many ways to do it, right? Some people are really great at bottom of the funnel. They're masters of the craft. They close deals, right? When they get there, other people aren't. They need they they they're they need more deals in that stage because they're not as great at that area. So, you know, and you have to sort of like push and pull with people's strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, my first team that I had, you know, God, God bless them for dealing with me. But like, I was just trying <laughs> to fit, like, like fit them all into like, here's how I did things. Here's how you're going to all going to do them. And it's kind of a disaster, like actually. So I think that was... That, that was really the big one. And then I think the second thing was I, I didn't fully appreciate how much influence I had over somebody else's like state. So their day-to-day motivation, their day-to-day energy, their frustration. And I, if I said or did something to cause more frustration or more stress, like it was going to become abundantly clear to me that I did that. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I'll tell you just a quick story. Like my first management job, I had a, a mixed team of inside and outside salespeople. And one of the outside salespeople called me and, and he said that he felt that we should be providing money for gas, which we weren't doing at the time. And we were an early stage company. So I kind of just like dismissed it. Like, no, we're like, we're, we're not going to give you money for gas. Like I just said that on the call. and he just blew up, like just absolutely blew up, cursed me out. Um, really just an uncomfortable professional experience. And as I reflected on it, like there were just two things at work. One was he had been spending a really lot, a lot of money on gas. Right. And, and I, I didn't know that. Um, and it, it, because he was driving like, well, outside of his own territory. And then second was that the fact that I didn't even consider his problem, just, just, Set him off the set him off the ledge. So, the right way to have handled that would be to okay, like can you just talk me through like why you think we should be giving you money for gas? How much are you spending on gas? How often are you buying gas? And then letting him know that I'm going to think about it and get back to him versus just saying no. And it's it's like subtle little things. Like it sounds so simple, but it's like subtle little things like that that can like really screw up your team or, or screw up somebody else's like state. And that was that was a, a big learning in, in that transition. Absolutely. I really love that as a concept and that very specific example, because a lot of times what we find as leaders is we're involved in a lot of conversations at the leadership level. And so we hear something, we get a question, we get a request from somebody we pull in all the context that we know we're an early stage company, we're really watching expenses, all of these other things, and we might be inclined to just give a quick answer. Or we need to roll out a new compensation plan, a new quota system, a new, you know, anything, CRM system for the team. And we've done all of this ideating and planning and testing and gone through all the options. And then we just come in to the sales team with a from on high, we have developed this system that you must use. And they weren't in all of those conversations. 
How are they supposed to know? And so there's there's a there's an information gap and access to the information. And then, as you said, there's just also the feeling of, are you even listening to me? Mm-hmm. I had one client, this was years and years ago. They had one of their top performers leave. And for the home office, it seemed like it just came out of nowhere. Just like, why did he quit? Come to find out, he had some concerns that his his salary and commissions were not being processed properly. He had been trying to communicate that to his regional manager. And the regional manager just didn't handle it well and wasn't pushing that information up and, you know, being his partner and figuring out how to solve that problem. And so the first, the home office hears of it is this guy just quit. And they tried to get him back and they just couldn't because the trust had really been broken. And so that that idea of a frustration that might be building and not handling it appropriately can can really cause drastic problems. Yeah. And, you know, if I can piggyback on that, I, you know, like we're talking today and, and we're coming off the heels of the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. And what I think what this showed everybody was and, and what the market did in response to that, what they showed everybody was how much people don't like unpredictability. Like we, we like things to feel predictable. It makes us feel safe. And sales is a naturally unpredictable role because you can't fully predict what a customer is going to do. There's always a bit of, of, of sort of like black space there where like you just can't see into it. So if you compound that unpredictability with more unpredictability in someone's <laughs> role around like, what are you going to get paid? How are you going to get paid? What is your territory going to look like? Who your manager is going to be? We're going to change this and change that and change this and change that. It just becomes mayhem and, and exhausting for people. And my experience, uh, and I've learned this lesson the hard way, is um, you know once you lose the trust of the team or the trust of a person, it, it, it's hard to get it back, if at all. Absolutely, absolutely. And then to what you said earlier about what worked for you is not necessarily what's going to work for someone else, and that's something I think is the almost the most common problem we see with recently promoted uh, leaders is you know what it took to get you to where you are. And you're like, this. these are the best practices. <laughs> Clearly, yep. this is what everybody should be doing. And other people can be successful in such wildly different ways. It's actually really interesting to me to see the differences in what can drive success. And you'll, you'll have two people on a team, you know, that... Mm-hmm have opposite personalities and very different processes and they can produce almost the same results so long Mm -hmm. as they're doing what works for them. And that's always really funny to see. And and I think a good reminder to us that there is no one best way to do things. Um, Sometimes there are steps that must be followed (laughs) for things to work out, but the the approach that people take is really going to be unique to them. Absolutely. I think it's important that we give everybody a starting point. Like, hey, here, here's like our, our base case for how a deal should go or what your funnel should look like. But over time, that should be made their own. This was kind of my, my um, I, I always hated writing scripts. And I hated the word script because I felt that a script was like, okay, you need to read off this page. And what we started doing instead was we call them guides. 
but like here's a guide for the conversation and like it could go off the margins here by some order of magnitude but um, that's okay right like that's why we actually hired you like we hired you to be able to account for those margins in the conversation and that's where you appreciate individuals strengths and weaknesses right and um, and I think that's what a great manager does. They know where reps are great and where they struggle, and they can sort of push and pull with each individual person and, and account for the unique needs. Absolutely. Just that that language shift from a script to a guide, you can feel the the way that that would be perceived by somebody. If you give me a script, I'm going to think, why don't you just use a bot that you feed that script <laughs> into? And the bot will have the conversation. <laughs> and then the bot will very quickly have somebody feed something in that is not on that script and they will be stuck. And we all know if we've been on the phone with people, they go off script. And you're, first of all, demoralizing your team and, and making them feel looked down upon. But you're also not setting them up for success because you don't want them to freeze up just like a bot would when they get <laughs> the off the wall sort of a question or prompt. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I am, um, you know, another funny story from 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 the sales pit, if you will. But, uh, you know, my first SDR role, you know, I was given a script and I'm pitching customer and I've got the script in front of me and I'm trying to focus on the customer and focus on the script. And then all of a sudden, my manager shows up in my headset because he was listening in. You know, he's trying to like talk to me to tell me what to oh say. Goodness. And like, I'm trying to account for like the script my manager is saying. And like, really, like the customer, which is where my the entirety of my focus should be, and just like I completely froze, had a meltdown, and totally botched the whole thing, <laughs> just from like try, trying to like you know take in all this information, where all I really had to do was have this a normal conversation with a human being on the phone. Absolutely, your brain is kind of just blue screening, trying to trying to fill in all of those inputs. Yeah, and it's that's such a great reminder at the end. You know, we're people talking to people. Yeah, and. Yes, there might be, we really need to get the answers to these specific questions because that will inform the scope of the program or whatever it might be. You know, you can have the the elements that must be included, but the magic of conversation and what you really get from your reps also can bring insights that you can share with the others. You know, I came up with a question that can be asked and you're like, I never thought to ask that question. That's great. That's That makes it so meeting four doesn't even need to happen because we got that question answered in meeting one or two. And it's really fun when the whole team starts to work together to align on best practices and share them. And that's much more likely to happen when you're collaboratively working on guides as opposed to mandating scripts. Yeah. And this is the type of behavior that should be celebrated, in my opinion. And in one of my leadership roles, we we had a couple of reps early on in our in our time there, and they were kind of breaking procedure on a few things. And the head of sales ops like came to me and, and was like, hey, like, this is the problem. And I was just like, no, it's not actually like, you know, like, if they can break our process and win, like, I'll give them $5,000. Right. Like that's like, like, like that's what I want to happen. Like I want folks that are like willing to tinker in the interest of like winning more deals or closing more business or moving the company forward. And the sort of like, this is how we do things mentality. Like again, can work for like just getting somebody started, but you don't need to hire people if you just have it all defined and plug it in now, just plug it into chat GPT. Right. 
<laughs> so that's always been my my opinion on things. I, I used to call them renegade reps. Like I want like especially especially in the early innings of your company, like you you want the people who are going to come in and destroy your processes, right? And yeah. then, and then you're going to see like wow, like they actually just closed double what I thought somebody could close in this role, right? Like we should go and like figure out what they did, make that the new process or the new starting point for a process. The the number of times I've worked with a client and they had like a standard quota was maybe 500K and they've had reps, you know, kind of perform, maybe overperform a little bit, maybe underperform. And they were just like, yep, a rep can produce 500K. And then they'll hire somebody new. They'll do things completely different and they sell 2 million. And they're like, oh, that's possible. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a real paradigm shift. That's how you know, like you're moving the sales team forward, right? Is, is when like each year, especially if you're like an early stage like sales leader, as like you're as like each year somebody does something that you didn't think was possible, right? Whether it was meeting set or revenue booked or deals closed, and that's just uh, it doesn't necessarily necessarily become the new like bar for like what quota or things should be, but it does raise the bar on what's possible, right? And that creates a a bevy of wonderful conversations to start having because there's room between what we do today and what's possible, clearly. Definitely. That's that's a great clarification. All right. Something that I thought was really interesting when we spoke before is you have the idea as a leader that there are three systems that leaders need to kind of pay attention to and are, are part of kind of a sales organization. I'd love to hear about those three systems and kind of how you came up with that model. Yeah, I came up with the model through uh, many years of, of failure um, and, 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 doing things do and, do, and doing things incorrectly. So I think every great VP of sales runs a three-pronged operating system. And the three prongs are data, funnel, and reps, or you know, team, right? Data, funnel, and team. And those three sort of spirits, if you will, have to work in tandem to actually deliver you the team that's going to scale revenue consistently, reliably, and not turn into a, a work culture that nobody wants, where nobody wants to be. Data, I think this is probably the one that we've been most familiar with for the longest period of time. Where is our customer information? Who are we calling? Why are we calling them? What's happening? This area is well served by tools like Salesforce, Apollo, ZoomInfo, things like that. You need to know who your team is calling and why. How did you segment customers? Why are you calling certain segments of your market? Where are their phone numbers? All of that. The second part of the operating system is funnel. And I think this is where a lot of innovation has happened in the last, you know, call it five to seven years. What am I saying to a customer? What am I writing to a customer? How quickly can I move a customer from point A to point B with the best possible service? So this is where we would see a tool like Gong or a tool like SalesLoft or SixSense helping reps move deals down the funnel and get deals closed, right? This is where a lot of coaching happens, a lot of you know the, the guide development or the, you know, this is how we're going to handle certain objections or Here's how we're going to craft a cold email and you know a lot of the you know quote unquote like sales craft happens here. 
I think it's like pretty been pretty well understood for a long period of time, like sales is both art and science. And, you know, the science is well served by your, your data operating system and the art is well served by your funnel operating system. But the third one we've kind of been talking about is actually your team and all of the individual humans that are the drivers of these cars, right? The people that have to sort of plug in and plug in their headsets every day and fire up the call system and, and, and get going. And I can tell you brass tacks, it does not matter whatever tool or process you have in your stack. If you don't have the right people that are motivated, that are doing the right things, it doesn't matter. Right? You can have the best, most robust tech stack. You can have <laughs> the sickest product. It doesn't matter. And that third operating system is everything that goes into supporting that group of people. So first and foremost, right? And, I, and this is abstract, but the financial model of the team. This supports your people because you actually have to make appropriate financial decisions to set up the team for success. It's ramping, it's hiring, it's the creation and development of managers and directors, it's performance management, it's upskilling, it's compensation and incentive design. All of these things that roll into the person who has to sit there or stand there and do the deals. And that's the third operating system. And inside of sales organizations, as, as you've seen and I've seen in my career, that is often the one that goes most awry, <laughs> right? You have a compensation plan that nobody can meet. You therefore have attrition or you have reps that did unsavory things to get deals done. You overhired people because you didn't understand your cost structures for your SDRs and your AEs. Therefore, you have to riff. You have not set up an appropriate territory plan. So you have one territory where you can put a, you know, a bullfrog in there and they'll hit quota. And you have <laughs> another territory that requires, you know, <laughs> you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross <laughs> to get one deal done. Right. <laughs> and these are the decisions that leaders make that wreak chaos <laughs> on the bottom line of the business. And simultaneously wreak chaos on people's lives. And, you know, obviously, you know, shamelessly, like, like that's where I spend my time with rhythm is like this third leg of the operating system and helping leaders, you know, work through these challenges. Absolutely. That's such a clear articulation. And as you said, you can almost see as business has matured, as corporate best practices have developed that first system, the data system that, you know, 20, 30 years ago <laughs> was becoming really professionalized. And I've been at Criteria for Success for a little more than 15 years now. And at the beginning of my career here, I would talk to a lot of clients who didn't have a CRM system. And now if I hear that from a company, I'm like, were you under a rock for the last 15 <laughs> years because yeah you could you could hear it from somebody you know 10 15 years ago now it's it's mind blowing and then you get to the the pipeline management and that's gone again from conversations to spreadsheets to dashboards <laughs> and the ability to really share the best practices and 
and you know, there's an entire industry that we're involved in around training and developing and coaching sales yep. reps and leaders. And that's matured. But as you said, that that piece that's just about people as people and thinking about right people in right seats, thinking about am I effectively serving them and supporting them, thinking about are my territory plans and my compensation plans and everything aligned? A lot of that right now is expected to just be something that managers do intuitively or hire expensive consultants to do, <laughs> as opposed to having systems and processes and best practices that you can necessarily follow. Exactly. And the decisions that happen in that third team operating system are the closest decisions you'll ever make as a VP of sales that are actually one-way doors where they're very hard to unwind, actually. Yes. So you can change your script. You can put an object in Salesforce, right? You can add a stage to your pipeline. But if you screw up that cost structure of your team and you've got people that are making too much money for the ACVs that you have, or you have too much body count for the amount of deals that you close, like that math is going to have to eventually work. And unwinding that is a very painful, long process. And that almost always ends with the VP of sales getting fired. Yes. Like, <laughs> right. And then, and then, and then the cycle starts again when, when somebody else shows yep. up. For new VP sales. Yeah, I swear that's the job with the, the shortest tenure in, in senior leadership positions is a VP of sales. <laughs> yeah. And, and the amount of companies that have to like start from scratch over yes. and over again because of these things is is kind of kind of crazy. Yeah. But it as you said, I mean, it can be the difference between success and failure of the business and between, you know, consistent, stable growth and lots of ups and downs and layoffs and, and quickly trying to upskill the team, hire a bunch of people all at once. It's just, it creates a culture that's very frantic and chaotic. And that also is going to be repellent to some really top performers and people who are not attracted to that level of chaos. They might be willing to work for a startup and excited to work for a startup, but they don't want to feel like every day I could come in and everything is wildly different and I'm getting completely different mandates from leadership. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is this is where like proper planning and, and being thoughtful around how you structure and set up your team is, is just really, really critical. I've, I've just, I've gone through this twice now in my career where this had to been like a, there was like a misfire, of like the type of team that was hired or created and the type of team meant that incentives weren't aligned. It meant that the, the proper skill sets weren't present. And it's like not as simple as just going and hiring different people because you already have all these other people and you can't just hire a bunch of headcount and but you can't just fire everybody either because like you still have a business, right? So it's like it, it's like there's this this really painful, you know, this dance that you do when you make these these bad decisions. Absolutely. I've actually met leaders over the course of my work with clients over the years where there are organizations that have fired a whole sales team and hired a new sales team and then fired that whole new sales team and tried a third <laughs> try. And it's like something's yep. wrong. It's not like you somehow have just hired all these terrible people. I mean, maybe your hiring process isn't great. Maybe your job descriptions aren't right. Sure. But I mean, just 
stats. Somebody should have been able to perform at some level. Um, you know, it's not it's not like you somehow found all of the people in this country and the world who are just completely incapable of selling. And so often people don't even know what to look at when they're trying to figure out what did we do wrong? How can we do better next time? And then it's just like throwing another dart at the wall as opposed to really learning from that experience and taking it into account and making better decisions the next time. Yeah. And I think this is where great, like great leaders just communicate really well with folks. Like when you're hiring somebody into a role that is more chaos than not, which actually tends to be at like the early stage, but then also happens again at like the late stage. Yep. Interestingly <laughs> enough, I guess like, it's like the middle where things tend to be most stable. Um, you, you need to just tell people like, Hey, you're joining a series B company. We don't have a whole lot of data on performance for sales team, for our sales team. We've only had one for a year. So you're going to get a quota. It may be too high or too low. Right. And we're going to have to adjust that. Right. So, you know, contingent on taking this role, I want this pact between us that you understand that you are stepping in to a high change environment. Now, that's really all you have to do because right? mm-hmm. like you've made that pact to somebody up front. And again, back to my point I made earlier, it's not the changes in quota that I believe jar people. It's the unpredictability and compensation. So you've now just made unpredictability predictable right? by having the conversation with somebody. And I think that is it's subtle, but it makes all the difference. And there's a level two when you have that conversation. It also demonstrates just a level of empathy. And whether spoken or not, what you're saying is, I'm your partner in this. I'm going to be with you in this. If it's off and suddenly your compensation goes way off track, especially way off track under what what you would expect, we're going to make you whole. We're going to make it right. We're going to figure things out. If we have to do like the weirdest bonus structure known to mankind... (laughs) will we'll still make things work because it's that uncertainty. It's the conversations that happen when the manager isn't there <laughs> that can really spiral up into, uh, you know, people having an intervention style meeting with the leader. <laughs> and that's never a sign that things have been effectively communicated. Yeah. And I would add to this where I believe that the empathy demonstrated is incredibly important and the emotional binding of the this person has my back and how far that actually goes but people are smart and they also have to trust that you're capable of it yes and it's like just understanding and being aware of someone's problem is oftentimes not enough you also have to be be capable of fixing it and and this is kind of where I, i feel so strongly that you know, VPs of sales and CROs, if they actually want to be people-oriented leaders, they actually have to be financial wizards and and hyper P&L fluent because you can talk everybody through every decision. So when quota goes up or down or, or sideways or wherever, you can go through line by line. This is how this decision was made and here's why. Yeah. Right? Now you might take some of the brunt 
of like, oh, well, it didn't seem like we had a race quota that much and, you know, whatever. But when the team believes you are capable of making these decisions and understanding these decisions, they at least now know that you are the person that they can interact with about the decisions and you're not like a, you know, a puppet of, of the, of the financial team or wherever where that becomes substantially worse when the team views the sales leader as someone who's not capable and nice, right. Versus oftentimes capable and and maybe not as nice, right. Like most smart people would, would rather the, the, the latter in that equation. And it's, it's just really imperative for sales leaders that you don't create a level of people thinking that there's something happening behind the curtain that mm-hmm. they're not that they're not privy to because <laughs> the speed at which misinformation can travel inside of a company like is just is, is is pretty remarkable. So it's both empathy and capability in in, in my opinion. Absolutely. And that instinct I think it comes from a good place that some sales leaders have of, I want to be their friend, and it's kind of us against the man. Yep. That makes it so you're disempowering yourself to them. So they feel like, okay, you can't actually be my advocate with leadership because you disagree with them as much as I do, and yet these are the numbers. (laughs) And so to be able to make the business case and have confidence in it and explain how how things work out you're also demonstrating, hey, I believe in this. I believe that you're capable of meeting the targets as they're expressed. And this is how we came up with them. And you're actually setting yourself up as a leader, as a decision maker, as opposed to as somebody who's just kind of being buffeted by the winds of the organization. And you don't always realize when you're trying to be their friend that you've fully disempowered yourself in the conversation. Exactly. Like, let's just let, let, let's think about like an example here, right? Of like two different VP of sales styles that are communicating a quota increase. VP of sales one gets the quota increase, gets the whole team together and turns it into an attempt of a, of a rah-rah conversation. You know, we're, we're, we're doubling quota from one to two million, but that's totally okay because we have 25% of people that have already hit it. And we believe that everybody's going to be capable of it. And we have these new training programs coming out and, you know, yada, 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 right? VP of sales number two gets the quota increase, brings the sales team together and says, hey, we are increasing quota from one to $2 million. Like, it's not lost on me that everybody here does not like quotas being increased, but I need to talk everybody through why this happened and why it needs to happen. Number one, we are not returning as much money on each individual salesperson as we need to. In order for us to continue sustaining the business, this is the world we have to move to, right? It's uncomfortable, but this is just the hard reality we have to face. We're growing up as a company. Now, I believe we're going to be able to do that because we have all of these additional initiatives planning. Now, for me, right, VP of Sales 2, although hard to hear, at least told me the truth and the truth made sense, right? And it might, it might suck. But I can then make that decision on my own. Versus VP of Sales One is, uh, you know, a, a little bit more performative, and it is hard for me 
to look like, yeah, I get it. I appreciate the energy and all these things, but it's hard for me to look past that I know that they're selling me that this is okay. Whereas like the modern worker, they're a smart person. Just tell them, hey, you are a salesperson. You need to return four times your costs. That's how it works, right? That's the world we live in. We're not there. We need to get there, right? It's a harder truth, but I'd rather know the truth than be wondering what the truth actually is. Absolutely. All right. A question I always like to ask our guests is, what are some trends that you're keeping your eye on right now? I would imagine as somebody who's leading a tech company, you've got a lot of a lot of perspectives out there and things that you're you're really paying attention to. Yeah. So I think the first is around um, you know what, what we're calling margin enablement, and as we are in the the new world of a, a little bit of a rockier economic climate, you know, you know there are some tools coming to market, rhythm included, that are supporting VPs of sales and not just actually growing top line, but growing bottom line. So, you know, last 10 years, we've all been sort of trained to close as many deals as we can, which is great. We should keep doing that. But we also can't break the company and our financial yes. posturing because we, we, we did that. So I'm looking at that. Any and all ways to sort of integrate AI, I think is really interesting. Um, I think the I don't think I'm as, as bullish as some as the like AI is going to write the emails for me only because my personal preferences, like and this could be because I've been in sales for so long, but I know when I'm in a sequence or I know when I'm talking to a chatbot like on intercom Yes, and I like immediately don't engage. Like if, if, if I can clearly figure out it's not a human, like, I'm not going to talk to them. So I, but I do think AI is, is going to be really helpful as a, sort of like internal co-pilot for like the rest of the sales stuff, like build the RFP or, you know, get the contract done or integrate my notes into Salesforce, help me find this pitch, you know, things like that. I think that's really interesting. And I think the third trend I would say is actually manager enablement. I think the world of work has changed quite a bit. Um, it's probably going to change again. But, you know, Facebook released a memo yesterday about the new the changes they're making at their company. And you know, one very specific change they called out is that they're moving their manager to individual contributor ratios from one to 10. I don't know what it was prior, but, you know, traditional knowledge would say like one to seven, one to eight. So if the market follows suit on what the incumbents are going to do, and they're going to increase span of control across their manager headcount, managers are going to be need to be enabled to sort of handle more people that they're responsible for at any moment in time. Yeah. So I think tools that help managers make decisions get access to information quickly um, and sort of serve as a co-pilot for them are, are really interesting. Definitely. I'll, I'll say, um, especially to, to what you just said a minute ago about the the AIs and sequences and stuff, I have much the same perspective. And I'm very curious to see as we get over this initial wave of excitement, <laughs> what actually settles in to become a core part of the process, a, a part of enabling people to be successful and what's kind of gimmicky. And maybe somebody's going to look back at this conversation in six months and be like, oh my goodness, Tommy and Elizabeth are just completely wrong. But um, <laughs> I, yep. I don't think so. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, we'll, 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 we shall see. There's a, there's, a long, there's a long road ahead of us here. Yep. Definitely. All right. Do you have any resources that you would recommend our listeners check out? That could be books that, you, that you've that you read and learned from if you're a reader. It could be podcasts you listen to or just anything else that you feel like is, is something that people should pay attention to. 
Yeah. So yeah, as far as books that I think are great, I think What You Do Is Who You Are by Ben Horowitz is really great, which is kind of a, a really good narrative on like building the right culture and, and sort of how leaders need to posture themselves and, and how much of like the culture will flow from them. A book that influenced a lot of the my decisions around building rhythm was, was a book called Thinking in Systems, uh, which is also really fantastic. Um, it is written by Danella Meadows. And I, I think for the sales leader, you know, thinking about how your system performs needs to be considered versus how each individual deal is in the pipeline. Um, so those are a couple of recent books. As far as podcasts go, um, you know, I really like the the 20 VC sales podcast, actually. I think Harry does a good job of just getting really good people on there that talk about very specific and topical things. So I really enjoyed that. And yeah, if you haven't, I think the other great resource, I mean, there, there's a bunch of them now, but you know, there's a lot of sales like Slack communities that have like kind of unbundled from the general like sales community. There are some for RevOps, there are some for AEs, there are some for SDRs. Like even if you don't engage regularly, just like get yourself there so that you can sort of like be a fly on the wall when something interesting happens. Um, I think those are really cool. Definitely. It's been interesting to see that conversation really start to develop, as you said, and to think of where people have maybe tried to do that in the past that haven't worked out. I feel like these these new communities and, and discussion areas are really thriving. You know, I've, I've been a part of Pavilion for a long time, and it's like really served my, my needs well um, as a sort of a, a, a coming to age <laughs> VP of sales. And I think you know, I don't, I don't know all of them that are out there, but if you do have, you know, I, I know that there are, are ones that are specific towards different industries and different functions as well. Definitely. All right. I'm sure we've got a lot of listeners who've really enjoyed hearing from you and appreciate your perspective and would like to learn more about you, more about what it is that you're doing. Where can they find you? Yeah. So uh, my email is Tommy, T-O-M-M-Y, at onrhythm.io. Email is always best. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Tommy McNulty, uh, and uh, at on Twitter, also as, as Tommy McNulty. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at. All right. Consistency is always helpful. Thank you so, so much for joining me today, Tommy. I have really enjoyed our conversation, and I know our listeners will as well. Yes, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for the time. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod373. If you enjoyed the show, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't subscribed, you can do that in whatever podcaster you're doing right now. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or email us if you've got feedback, questions for us, suggested guests that we should talk to. You can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. What are you doing to enable buying today?